Ian. No, now you can hear me. Okay. There we go. Well, I give welcome to everyone, and I particularly like to uh, give welcome to those who are visiting with us. Let me note um, a couple of things. You may have seen those green bags as you were coming in. If you didn't pick up one, be sure to, to get one when you leave. They give information about the church. And if you'd like uh, to be contacted by a member of the church or by myself, uh, fill out a card that's in the uh, pew in front of you, and we'll be sure to, uh, to contact you this week. A uh, couple of uh, quick announcements. Uh, ladies, please note that the Women's Ministry Council are finally excited that they can, can do a women's uh, event, and that's this Saturday. It's a trip to the Botanical Gardens. Take a look at the information there. If you're interested in going, there's a phone number to call to sign up to be a part of that group. I also want to uh, report at the Presbytery meeting on Friday, uh, Jeff Birch, um, has uh, successfully, uh, in fact, did very well on his examination on the floor of Presbytery. He is now approved to be uh, our next uh, pastor. And uh, Jeff and Evie will be moving here the last week of April. The, he is, his first Sunday to preach will be May the 2nd. And then the installation service, which is done by Presbytery at, at our services, will be May the 23rd. So you want to have those two dates in your mind, May the 2nd, this is first Sunday with us, and then on May the 23rd will be his official installation. Now let's uh, prepare our hearts for worship.
We're called to worship and read from Psalm 68. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. And we do come, our great God, to to sing praises to your name, to lift up a, a song to you, to lift up a song of praise to our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has died for us, the one who has risen on high. We pray for the anointing of your spirit to be upon us, that as we lift up our songs and our prayers before you, as we offer our worship to you, that you would take delight in what we bring before you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing together. Lord, I lift your name on high. of faith is taken from the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance.
Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And our Father in heaven, we do give you thanks that you are also God, our good shepherd. We thank you that because of your kingdom, that you have made us to, to belong to that kingdom, that because you are the sovereign Father, God over heaven and earth, we know that you will provide all of our needs. We pray for your will to be done on earth, that we will serve your kingdom well. And we thank you that you do give to us each day our daily bread, that you provide for us the green pastures to lie down in, the still waters to lie beside, that you do restore our soul, that we can take comfort that whatever we go through in life, that we do not go through it alone, but that our God is with us. We thank you for sending to us our Lord Jesus Christ, our good shepherd. And he who was willing to lay down his life for the sheep, yet took it back up again, so that he lives now, he is with us even now, that he leads us and guides us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who dwells within us, who applies the the benefits of all the riches that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is your Holy Spirit who makes us aware of the presence of our Good Shepherd. It is your Holy Spirit that gives us that faith, that confidence in him. We thank you for providing him for us. Our Father, we thank you for your provisions for the church. Thank you for your provisions of a new shepherd to come to this church. And we pray your blessings even now upon Jeff and Evie Birch as they are making their preparations to sell their home, to move and come here at the end of this month. We pray for your provisions for them and all the the logistics and details, given the uh, just a physical and strength and energy that will be needed. And we pray for your blessing upon their time at this congregation. We pray for you to forgive our debts, which are many, as we forgive our debtors who are few and, and the debts are few. Give us that spirit of our Heavenly Father who has such great mercy so that we may show forth what a good shepherd that we have. Lead us not into temptation, but as our shepherd, protect us from the evil one. We make this prayer acknowledging that to you belongs the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing together, my shepherd, the very song that our choir just saying. Let's stand.
may be seated. Well, this morning we are looking at the most well-known and most beloved psalm in the Bible, the uh, psalm of comfort, psalm that gives us confidence in the Lord to be with us, to protect us, to guide us, to provide for us all through life. So let's uh, take a look at it. I invite you to either turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23, or you also find it as an insert in your bulletin. So let's begin with the first line. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So here with this line, David sets the theme of his psalm, which is simply this. Our Lord will provide everything, everything that I need in this life. Now, I want you to note that uh, you'll see that the word Lord is in all capital letters, and you'll know by now what that means. That's the Hebrew term for Yahweh, or what we used to call Jehovah. That's the term, I am who I am. It's the, the covenant name for God of Israel. And this God, this Lord, Yahweh, is shepherd. So we have here is the image of a shepherd who watches over, who protects, and who guides his sheep. And so most of the psalm, not all of it, but most of it, will develop this role as shepherd. Before we continue, I want us to note one other word in this line that's very important. And it's that word, my. The Lord is the personal shepherd of David. Now, he is the one true God. As such, he is the one shepherd over all of his people. But because he is the sovereign God, he's able to watch over each individual sheep intimately. The Lord, he is our shepherd, we can say that. But each of us can say the Lord is he's my shepherd. All right, now let's look at this shepherd, verses 2 in the first line of verse 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And these are, I think you'll agree with me, are three peace-filling lines. That's what they're about. Verse 2 is not so much about providing food, providing enough drink. It's more about providing a place of rest. Now the sheep, they're certainly going to eat to their fill in the green pastures. But the image that we're given of them is that they're lying down in that green pasture. And they're certainly going to drink to their fill from the waters. But that term for still, it depicts again of being at rest. The still waters are a resting place. Okay. And so through the green pastures, through the still waters, the Lord does what that first line of verse 3 says that it does. The Lord restores David's soul. He provides nature's spa, you might say, for David that renews his body and his spirit. All right, now let's continue in verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, if you look at this in any Bible, and we don't show it in there in the insert, but you'll always see that verses 1 through 3, all of are put together, and then it'll break it into next will be verse 4. But what I want us to do is to actually to, you break up that verse 3. And this last line of verse 3 goes with verse 4. Now, here's why. You look at this, every now, up to now, every line conveys what? A sense of, of comfort, rest. Relaxing. The Lord fills my every need. I couldn't feel more relaxed and satisfied. But this line changes the scenario. The shepherd gets me up and he calls me to follow him. Now, follow him where? The green pastures? The still waters? 
Well, we're not told, okay? Because the line is not about the destination, it's about the route to take. And all we know about the route is that it is the right route, the right path to go. Now, it may be a very pleasant route, or it may not be pleasant. The Hebrews, when they left Egypt, they were expecting a pleasant route. And they were rudely shocked to find that far from lying down in green pastures and still waters each night, they're going through a desert. And they're often hungry. They're thirsty. Now, again, the only guarantee about the path for the sheep is that the shepherd is going to take him along the right path for that sheep. Now, it will be the right path also, furthermore, that upholds the honor of the Lord's name. And see, there's the rub. Because what honors the Lord's name, what doesn't always feel comfortable? I mean, that's what his people discovered, again, after crossing the Red Sea. The Lord often will test his sheep. He will test their faith, their commitment to him. He'll test them so as to build their faith and to prove to them that they can trust in his protection and provision. And that's what David has learned. And he explains further here in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, thirst and hunger are not the only trials to be faced. As David is pointing out here, there is a path that can take one through danger. Now, that, that phrase there, the, the valley of the shadow of death, that shadow of death is actually just one Hebrew word. And the way that it's translated as, as shadow of death, it can actually kind of mislead us, at least us modern readers. When we look at that shadow of death, we focus on the word death. And so we, we tend to apply that as meaning whenever we go through an illness or a life-threatening experience, we'll, we'll go to that line. Well, that, that's a very practical, and, and it's certainly applicable. You can do that. But what the term is actually saying is talking about darkness, deep darkness, a gloom. There's an example in, in Isaiah 9-2 using the same term. And we're familiar with this verse. It speaks of a people who dwell in a land of deep darkness. Many years ago, I remember taking a tour in a, in a cave uh, with a group, and there's a guide, and she takes us deep into the cave, and she says, I'm now going to turn out the light so you can experience what it is to be in utter darkness. And she turns it out, and it's only from probably less than a minute, and she's talking, and again, there's a, a, a group of us, but it is an unsettling experience. I mean, there is just nothing like, your eyes never get used to anything. Complete darkness. Now imagine traveling along on a path through that kind of darkness, and it's in silence. Or maybe even worse, you're actually hearing some noises that you don't know what are making those noises. Well, that's David's experience. He has walked through utter darkness in a valley, probably surrounded by high stone walls and that have caves, have crevices in them. And there's no telling what wild animals are lurking about waiting for prey. Even so, in that scenario, as he says, I nevertheless, I will not fear evil befalling me. Now, and the reason he doesn't fear is because, as he says, the Lord is his shepherd, he's with him. And he's using his rod and staff uh, to, to both guide him and to protect him. Now, sometimes such kind of instruments might be used on him, to keep him along the, the right path. But however they are used, the point is that they, they provide him comfort. Okay? He, he knows that his shepherd 
is going to be there, protect him, and guide him, and ultimately lead him to the green pastures and the still waters. All right, well, now our image changes in verse 5. The Lord turns from the good shepherd to a good host for David. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, there are three actions here of the Lord as David's generous host. First of all, he prepares a table. That is a a large banquet, a feast for David. Secondly, he anoints David's head with oil. Now, that might not be appealing to us. It's not appealing to me. But such an act would have been an honor and a great blessing to David. In, in Psalm 133, David writes this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And he's, he's thinking, okay, you want to know how good, you want to know how pleasant it is? It's like the precious oil on the head. It's been poured on the head, and it runs down the beard. He's thinking here of the beard of Aaron, and it runs down on the collar of his robes. Now, again, that's just kind of yucky to me. But David and the men back then, it, that's, it's not just a blessing. It, it's, a, it's a great honor uh, to have that kind of experience. Now, the third thing is the Lord fills his cup of wine until it overflows. Now, again, I think of this as kind of being messy, but it is an honor to the guest. In one of the uh, reference books I was using, it has this uh, quote here, an illustration of this actual event. Let me read it to you. It's from the New Manners and Customs of the Bible. It says this, In a book published in the early 1800s, Oriental Customs, a Captain Wilson wrote about an experience he had that was like that spoken of by the psalmist. And here it is. I once had this ceremony performed on me in the house of a great and rich Indian in the presence of a large company. The gentlemen of the house poured upon my hands and arms a delightful odoriferous perfume, put a golden cup into my hands and poured wine into it until it ran over assuring me at the same time that it was a great pleasure to him to receive me and that I should find a rich supply of my needs in his house. Well, that's what this verse is depicting, isn't it? The Lord is a a great, a rich host, and it's a pleasure to honor David with his hospitality. Now, Captain Wilson, in that illustration, he made the point that this hospitality was shown to him in the presence of a large company, and that would have been intentional. The host wanted to publicly, in front of others, show him this honor. What the same thing's happening here with David, but actually with even more significance. He is being honored by the Lord in front of his enemies, His enemies are having to witness, you can be sure to their chagrin, this public show of honor in case there was any doubt whom it was that the Lord favored. All right, and then we have our conclusion in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So verse 6, it sums up the blessing of having the Lord as a shepherd and as host. Goodness and mercy shall follow him. Now, goodness is is just what we would think of. It's just, it is a pleasant experience to to have. David would certainly sing, God is so good to me, and God is good to me all the time. Now, the next word, mercy, that's the Hebrew term, hesed. And if it were not for the the tradition that's already been established by the King James Version, I can assure you in the English Standard Version, that's the version that we're looking at, would have translated it 
as steadfast love. That's how the ESV translates that word almost every single time it is used in the Bible. And what this love is, what this mercy is, it is founded on God's covenant relationship with his people. You might say that it is founded on God's steadfast love that is sealed by his covenant. Or the point is simply this. It, it is an assured love. David will never lose it because it's founded on God, on God's character, God making his commitment to David. Now we're told again about goodness and mercy shall follow David. And we might kind of have the image of like a couple of buddies following along with David wherever he goes. But this word for follow more often is translated as pursue or chase. And I can't help but think when I, when I read this, I can't help but think of Jesus' parable. Remember of the, the shepherd who leaves his 99 sheep to go after the one that has strayed? He pursues after him. It chases him until he finds him and brings him back. Well, wherever David goes, and if David should stray, goodness, the steadfast love of the Lord will pursue him all the days of his life. He can never, never be lost. And so David in response says that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now I don't mean, because it looks like I am, I'm about questioning almost every word here in this psalm. But for those of you who've been here for a number of years and remember Mark Potato who would come here the last three or four years and he did the psalms and he did Psalm 23 and he said if it were not for the King James Version, boy, he would have translated it would look very different. And I, as I've been going through these words, I can understand now what, he, what he's talking about. But again, the word, it could be translated dwell, but probably I think even more likely would have been translated return. It all depends, in Hebrew, where one places the vowels. I don't know if you know this, but the Written Hebrew, at least the original ancient Hebrew written, had no vowels, only consonants. And so scholars and scribes over the years, and they're, they're writing this down, and they're, they're having to kind of do a little bit of guesswork on how, where vowels would actually go. And if you look at Hebrew, you still don't see vowels, you'll see little dots either over or next and some other little markings to, to give you an idea of what the vowels ought to be. And depending on where these dots and so on are, you'd say, well, this is the word for dwell, or this is for the word return. Okay. But it makes sense to me, particularly as we're looking at this, if, if the Lord is continually pursuing David, then what's happening? David is continually returning to the Lord returning to the house of the Lord. And in the end, yes, he will dwell there forever because he can count on the Lord's goodness and mercy or steadfast love, keeping, bringing him back. So this is Psalm 23, and it's not difficult at all, is it, to learn, you know, what the lesson is about this. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord to be our shepherd, he provides whatever we need. It's the same lesson that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, look at the birds, look at the flowers. Seek first the kingdom of God, and the Lord will provide. Your Father will provide all that you need. Just trust him. Okay? He's generous. He's able to protect you. He's able to provide. He's able to guide if we will but trust him. Now, as I say, we, we know the lesson. We love the psalm because it provides what comfort. It provides a, a confidence for a little while until trouble comes into our lives or until we go home and we turn on the news and we get all uptight and anxious wondering what is going to happen. 
Now, this is not a rebuke. It's just an honest admission. It's an honest admission that walking through the valley of the shadow of death, of deep darkness, it was not even easy for David. Let me read to you some verses of another psalm that David wrote. And he's going through a, a valley of darkness. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But, but you, O Lord, how long? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I, I drench my couch with my weeping. I, I waste away because of grief. It grows weak because all of my foes. And this is Psalm 6. This is not, well, I'm not fearing anything. Everything's okay, isn't it? Now he does end, I'll have to tell you, he does end the psalm expressing confidence that the Lord will hear his plea. But the point is, basically is this, that psalms were not written, they're not there to teach us, they're not like prescriptions. Follow what this psalm says, and look, you should not fear if you'll just do what it tells you to do. That's not, what, that's not why we turn to the psalms. We turn to the psalms because they express they express what we're feeling. There are times when we're very fearful, times in which we're grieving, we're troubled, and there are psalms written by David just, just letting it out. In this psalm, I have no doubt that David probably wrote this on a good day. Maybe he's come through that valley and he's looking back and he's saying, hey, the next time I will not fear. We'll see. Or I don't know what happened the next time. But it is a good psalm to read during those times. We ought to meditate on it. We definitely ought to memorize it. And you ought to recite it to yourself when you're going through a dark valley. So we know how to apply it to ourselves. But we have just observed Holy Week and Easter. We just looked at Psalm 22. And with that in mind, I want us to think about Jesus who certainly would have memorized it, would have meditated on this psalm many times. And I want us to think how the psalm would have applied to him. I'm just going to pick up three lines here. There's that line, he leads me in paths of righteousness, excuse me, leads me in paths of righteousness or the right paths. Well, there was one path that Jesus always had on his mind in his travels. And he was determined to walk this path. I'll just give one example from Mark 10. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. This is the path that he knew he had to walk. Or this other line, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Well, what did he say on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, there's another line. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Remember, to, for, for, to show his favor to Jesus. And then we have on the cross, the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Now I bring up these unpleasant verses really to make one point about Jesus. And it's this, Jesus is our shepherd who has proven himself worthy to place all of our confidence in because he has walked that right path for us and before us. He's walked through the valley of the deep darkness, literally through the valley of the shadow of death, and he's come through it. He has come to the end. And so he is our sympathetic shepherd. 
He knows what we're going through. He is our able shepherd. He's the one, indeed, as he has said, I am the good shepherd. Let me read these well-known verses from John 10. This is our Lord Jesus speaking. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And so Jesus is our good shepherd who laid down his life so that we may have life. He is the good shepherd who took his life back up again so that, yes, he might always be with us. And we can walk through the valley of deep darkness because because our shepherd has walked it before us and now he is with us again and he is leading that way. And we can know that we will pass even the valley, not the shadow of death, the valley of death because our good shepherd will be with us even then and he will lead us into the presence of his father. We can look with expectation. Someday we will sit at that banqueting table when our Lord returns and he will then welcome us as our generous host. And then we have this. Look, however much we may stray, however much our covenant children may stray, he in his goodness and mercy, he will pursue us and he'll bring us back to his house. Until that day, we will live with him forever in his and his father's house. The Lord is your shepherd. You will never, ever want. We give you thanks for this promise. You've proved yourself faithful in the past to all the generations before us. You prove you're faithful now. You will continue to prove your faithfulness, whatever awaits us, whatever valleys we may go. And we thank you for that promise we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. The Lord is my shepherd. deacon there in the North X and he's looking out at us. If you did not get one of these cups, if you'll just raise your hands and he will bring them to you right now. Preparation for that. 
Let me be reading the institution of the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, here we are. We have been invited to the Lord's table that he has prepared for us. Our good shepherd has gone to the cross for us. and He has opened the way through that valley of death for us to lead his sheep. He became the sheep. He became the lamb that was made to be the sacrifice for us. And now he is our host. And he welcomes his people to his table. And he offers to feed himself, his body, and his blood. He knows that we have stumbled. He knows that we have strayed. And he reminds us that he's still our shepherd. And he has protected us. And he wants to renew our faith. He wants to, to strengthen our spirits and our souls. And so he bids his people to come. Now this table is, is for his people, his sheep. If you have yet to call upon Jesus as your as your shepherd, as your Lord and Savior. We ask you not to partake of it, but know that it is our deepest desire for you to someday to be able to do that. Now it is for his sheep, but as far as sheep and who have stumbled, but want to keep following their their Savior, who repent, who are sad for their sins. If you're holding on to sin, particularly if it is of enmity, against your brothers or sisters. If you refuse to follow your Savior, then it's not for you to take. But again, if you have stumbled, if you have strayed, and you're looking and coming back to your Savior, he's here for you. He welcomes you to his table. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, blessed, and broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take heed, this is my body given for you. The body of Christ. In the same manner, our Savior also took the cup. And after he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, this is, my, this is the cup of the covenant for which I have shed my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all you of it. The blood of Christ. We give you praise, our God, for our Lord Jesus Christ, for his atonement, by which he took on our flesh and made, and made atonement for our sins upon the cross. We thank you that though he died and was buried, yet he rose again in that same flesh, that he has ascended on high in that flesh where he is our high priest, ever interceding for us. Thank you for that promise. He shall come again in that flesh as our great shepherd king in all of his glory. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing the final verses of the Lord's My Shepherd. My table
God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.